This is Cruise Radio. Now more than ever, you should consider trip insurance for any kind of trip you take, not just cruises. Get a free quote at tripinsurance.com. Broadcasting from the tripinsurance.com studios in Jacksonville, Florida. This is Cruise Radio. Hey, how's it going? My name is Doug Parker. Thank you so much for checking out this episode of Cruise Radio. We have staff writer Richard Sims standing by with Cruise News this week. And also Mr. Art Sabarsky. We normally have uh, an annual chat with with Art about the state of the cruise industry. Last year, we skipped that because of obvious reasons. But we had a chance to catch up with Art on Celebrity Edge a couple of weeks ago, so we'll get our conversation in just a little bit. But first, Cruise Radio News, the daily three things you need to know found at the Cruise Radio News podcast opposite of this or on the Cruise Radio YouTube channel. All right, staff writer Richard Sims is here with news. Hello, Richard. Hey, Doug. It's been 16 long months, but a lot of ships are now back into service. You know, basically at this point, every line is either sailing or about to sail. Holland America um, headed to Alaska on Saturday. The very next day, Princess Cruises took their turn up to Alaska. Norwegian isn't sailing out of the U.S. yet, but the Jade, which is, as everybody who knows me knows, the sister to my very favorite ship, the Gem, it sailed out of Greece, and Norwegian will start sailing out of the U.S. later this year, I believe in September. Bahamas Cruise Line is sailing, so basically pretty much everyone's up and running. This is right now more ships than we have seen sailing Mm -hmm. in, you know, 16, 18 months, which is an amazing, amazing thing. Yeah, it looks like Norwegian's going to have their first ship, I think, August 7th from Seattle with Encore up to Alaska. Oh, right. I forgot about them sailing to Alaska. You're right. So the CDC in Florida, this law, this lawsuit's been going since around April or so. Um, Has it ended yet? And what's the latest? I don't think it's ever going to end, honestly. You know, you you hear stories about how litigation takes years and years and things get caught up in, you know, appeals and all that. The thing is, from the point of view of cruisers, this this entire lawsuit is pretty much irrelevant at this point, and here's why. So the latest is that you know the, the appeals court said that the conditional sale order couldn't be upheld and that it was overruled. But the cruise lines are all saying we don't care. Um, you know, between the CDC and us over the last year, we have worked out the protocols that work for us. We've worked out ways to keep our passengers safe. And so we basically want to continue following these protocols. You can say that they have gone from, you know, they used to be regulations. Now they're basically recommendations, but the cruise lines don't care. Um, They are coming forward. Carnival came out the other day and said, yeah, this is, this is working. This is how we keep our people safe. So in many ways, the lawsuit seems sort of irrelevant. One of the things they did do, though, the CDC sent out a letter um, as soon as this kind of went into effect, asking cruise lines to tell them about any ships that are voluntarily complying with the CSO, the conditional sale order. Ships that aren't voluntarily sailing, they'll probably look at a little closer. They're going to be classified gray. You know, we used to have this system where it was like a ship was either green or red, and I think they even had yellow in there. Now they're adding a new classification that's gray. That is for ships that do not say, you know, do not literally say that they are going to comply with the recommendations. And the CDC's status on those ships will basically be that they cannot guarantee that the people on board or the communities that they visit will necessarily be safe because they're not following the recommendations that have been put in place. So, you know, that's that's kind of where we stand so far, though. You know, like I said, the the cruise lines want this. The cruise lines know that they have to get this right. They have to keep their passengers safe. The last thing they want is an outbreak. So they're they're kind of pretty much thrilled to be working working with these recommendations. Yeah, and I guess if nothing else, the whole lawsuit kind of opened up that dialogue between the CDC and cruise lines that was radio silent for months. I agree. I think the one good thing to come out of this was that it sort of moved things along faster. You know, once the lawsuit came into effect, you know, whether you agree with the lawsuit, disagree with the lawsuit, no matter how you feel about it, it's almost impossible to deny that as soon as that lawsuit started, 
we heard about, you know, many more meetings. We heard that the cooperation was happening and we did eventually get to the point where ships started sailing. So no matter what else happens, that good came out of the lawsuit. But as far as what's going on now, it seems to just really be kind of, you know, like they're just butting heads against each other. And the cruise lines are like, yeah, do your thing. We're (laughs) good. Uh, And speaking of cruise ships sailing again, it looks like England has greenlit sailings for more than just their seacations. This is still more good news for the cruise industry, but especially for people sailing out of England. Up until now, um, P&O, which is a division of Carnival Corporation, they were basically doing their version of cruises to nowhere. They would like sail around the coast of England. And, you know, this sounds like I'm dissing England, which I'm not. Lovely country. I'm sure a cruise around the coast of England would be awesome. But if you live in England, you probably want to go somewhere else. And so they will now be able to do that. And immediately PO jumped on this and sent out um, a tweet and emails saying that um, they're going to start doing international sailings as of September 25th on both Britannia and their newest ship, Iona, Ionia, I'm not quite sure how to pronounce it, but both ships will begin doing international sailings. So the people of England will be set free to go to other countries. Very cool. And Disney has announced not only a return to sea, but also some interesting, I guess, protocols for people who are going to be sailing on board. Yeah, this is okay. So long before sailing started, A lot of people talked about what they didn't want. You know, oh, I will not go on a cruise if I have to wear a mask. I will not go on a cruise if this, that, and the other thing are put in place. And, of course, for the most part, what we've seen is that cruising is pretty normal. You know, you've done several cruises, and and you've written extensively about how on the ships that you've been on, it's been pretty normal. Mm -hmm. Disney is going to be a slightly different story. And this isn't particularly surprising because, you know, the vast majority – of the people who cruise on Disney ships are doing so with kids. That's like part of the whole appeal. So Disney is not requiring vaccinations. They're recommending them. But that, of course, means you're going to have a lot of unvaccinated, especially kids on board. So what that means is unvaccinated guests will have to have a PCR test before boarding. What's kind of cool is Disney has actually arranged with a third-party provider to get the tests at what might be kind of a cheaper. We've seen we've seen like 100, 150, 165 dollars for PCR tests. If you get it through Inspired Diagnostics to go on a Disney cruise, they're only going to charge you $98.33 per test. Now, of course, that's still expensive. If you're traveling with like three or four kids and you still have to, you know, get those tests done, that's going to be like $400, but it's cheaper than it would be otherwise. Um, You don't have to get it through that vendor. You can get your own, but, you know, this way you get a little bit of a price break. On embarkation day, anybody 12 or older who isn't vaccinated, they're going to have to have a PCR test done there on the spot, and that's going to cost them $65 for each unvaccinated guest, and that'll just basically go directly onto their onboard account. Everybody has to have travel insurance that meets very specific requirements in case they happen to get sick. Here's the big thing. Masks will be required indoors. Unless you're eating, drinking, or in your stateroom, you will have to have a mask on when you're um, anywhere indoors on the ship. That's true for anyone two or older. Also, the Disney experience that you know and love is going to be a little bit different, much like in the parks. You know, they don't really have the kind of thing where you get to um, have up-close interactions. In other words, if you go on the, on a Disney ship right now, your kid ain't going to get to hug Cinderella. You know, they'll, they'll be able to, like, wave to them from a distance. They're going to have reduced capacity. They'll be doing social distancing wherever possible. Castaway K, or Castaway Key, the good thing there is you won't have to wear a mask unless you're indoors. One of the other cool kind of weird, interesting things is every time you go to Castaway Key, they have this 5K that people love participating in. You know, you do this 5K and you get a medallion, the whole nine yards. They are not doing that right now, but if you choose to independently run the 5K, and I don't know exactly how they're going to monitor this. They haven't released full details on it, but if you want to run the 5K and get the medallion, you can still do that. So, you know, it's it's good news. The ships are going to be sailing, but there's going to be a lot of restrictions on on Disney, certainly, I think, more than we've seen for any other cruise line. Yeah, I don't know, man. It's... Um just having my sister uh, with three three girls and my little brother with uh, a son, I, I find it a little bit um, 
I know there's two schools of thought on this. I might find it a little harsh with uh, having a toddler wear a mask on board, you know, because it's it's, it's going to be probably impossible to keep it on. And they don't really know what's going on either. Like, why am I wearing this? Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's something we've talked about a lot in the past. It's that thing where you have to sort of make a decision about what's right for your mm-hmm. family. Now, a lot of kids are going back to school in situations where they have to wear masks at school. So, you know, maybe if your kid is really good at it and is used to it and, you know, you really have to make these decisions knowing it's more important than ever to know exactly what restrictions are going to be in place and sort of judge your comfort level and say, should we do this now or should we put it off and maybe do it next year when, God willing, you know, things will be much more more normal? Yeah, that's what uh, Tommy Casabona over at Always Be Book says. He says you always should manage your expectations. Yeah, yeah. It's true under the best of circumstances. You know, we all know that like an itinerary can change on the on a mm-hmm. dime because of weather. So if it's true under the best of circumstances, it's certainly true now. So back in 2015, when Virgin Voyages announced they were starting up, shortly after they said they were going to have a private uh, destination in the Bimini, which is in the Bahamas. But it turns out another cruise line beat them to the punch at their own destination. I have to say I'm fascinated by this story, and here's the main reason why. If you had asked me two weeks ago about Bimini, I would have been like, oh my God, it's the most exotic place in the world. It's on like, you know, I don't even know how you get there. It's far, far away. Now I find out that it's basically, if you could drive across the ocean, you could be there in like 45 minutes an hour. I had no idea Bimini was so accessible. Um, The interesting thing is Carnival Horizon was the first ship to get to Bimini. Well, actually, it was the second. Crystal Serenity, I want to say, was the first. Um, But certainly Carnival Horizon was the first big mega ship to get there. And you were actually on board. So tell us a little bit about your experience. If you've seen the renderings from Virgin when this was first announced years ago um, and seeing it in real life, it was exactly like they showed us, spot on. And the water is super turquoise. The two lagoon pools were awesome. The swim-up bars were there. We were there during the day, but there was areas for the bonfire on the beach at night. So yeah, it's going to be a good time if you're sailing there on Carnival or Virgin. So am I right in saying that basically this, you know, exclusive resort that Virgin has been touting is actually kind of like not as exclusive as it seems as really like um, other cruise lines are using it as well? Well, I mean, they teamed up with Resorts World and that's a resort, right? And they need to make money and they're not making anything with uh, Virgin not calling there. So why not send it out to other ships and companies in the meantime? And again closer than you think you can take a ferry there in like an hour yeah two hours on Belleros, i believe uh the fast super fast catamaran ferry from fort lauderdale is like a two-hour trip and they do it a few days a week so you can actually go to the beach for the day and then go back that afternoon or stay a couple of days at the hilton there at resorts world or if you're having a crappy cruise, you could just like ditch the cruise, get on a ferry and go be home in two hours. Yeah, that too. Yeah, absolutely. So also we just posted a review and photos at the homepage at cruiseradio.net. Listener question comes from Diane in North Carolina. She says, how strict have the cruise lines been on embarkation and arriving exactly at your appointment times? Very, 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 very. You know, in the past, this is something that they've been wanting to move toward. You know, they probably about The first time I really noticed it was probably about six months, maybe a year before the shutdown. I was going on, I believe it was a carnival ship, but it might have been Norwegian. And I got notification that like, you know, here is your window. Pick your window. This is your window. This is when you should arrive. And at the time, they weren't really terribly strict about enforcing it, but they really were trying to use it as a way of managing crowds and doing crowd control. Now, of course, in the age of social distancing, it's more important than ever. So if you get to most ports before your designated time, you will not enter the terminal. You know, it's not like the old days where maybe if you wandered in a couple hours early, they'd be like, oh, yeah, we can get you on board early. No big deal. Now you're going to sit outside on a hot day. That may not be where you want to be. And you will not be able to access the terminal until it is time for you to, you know, really your boarding window has opened. So, yeah, really strict about it. And I won't be surprised if this kind of stays in force even after. You know, I think I think over this last year, or certainly these last few months since sailing has started again, we're seeing a lot of things like the mustard drill, the designated arrival times that have 
they've been in the back of the minds of cruise executives, changes that they've wanted to make, but they didn't necessarily have, you know, the motivating factor. Now they've had that. They've seen how well it works. And I think a lot of these things will wind up sticking around. I can speak on that just for a second too, Richard, because um, having done a couple of cruises already on Celebrity and Carnival, um, and it's designed to get you on the ship as fast as they can. So they actually are letting people board the ship earlier now um, and kind of extending it as well. It's all designed to just keep you walking through the terminal and get right onto the ship. And so if people, you know, get kicked back to the car for coming in early or having to wait outside, I mean, I guess if you have an early flight or something, you really can't, you know, you can't control that. But I completely, uh, I'm on board with them saying, hey, wait your turn because it's going to ease up the congestion for everyone else. I will admit I am one of those people who usually gets to the terminal like at 6 a.m. and I will happily sit there and watch everybody board. But if doing it this way and going at a designated time means, you know, I don't have to, you know, and I think the main reason people do that, I think many, the main reason people go to the terminal so early is, for example, when I sail Norwegian out of New York, the earlier I get to the terminal, the lower boarding number I'm going to get. But if I know that I arrive at 1230, I'm getting on that ship right then, then I have no reason to get there early because I've already got the guaranteed, you know, I I know exactly what time I'm getting on the ship. Very good. You can send your questions to Doug at cruiseradio.net. Always enjoy reading them and answering them on the show. Staff writer Richard Sims, as always, a pleasure, my friend. As always, a pleasure to be here. From the cruise industry shutdown to the restart, we've been with you every step of the way. Online and on demand at cruiseradio.net. A big question we get at Cruise Radio is, how do I know if I need trip insurance? Simple answer. If you're getting on a plane, taking a road trip, or getting on a cruise ship, you need to have travel insurance. Hey, it's Doug Parker for my friends at TripInsurance.com. Not not only does TripInsurance.com protect your vacation investment, but it also gives you peace of mind in case anything were to go wrong on your trip. How do they do it? They offer three different types of trip insurance policies. Good, better, and best. One policy for every vacation budget. But it doesn't just stop there. They're up to 40% lower when you shop around on other comparison sites. Plus, TripInsurance.com offers 24-hour customer support before, during, and after your trip, online claims assistance, and travel alerts to let you know what's going on at your destination. But find out for yourself. Check out TripInsurance.com. You're listening to Cruise Radio, the trusted voice of the cruise industry. A few weeks ago when I was sailing Celebrity Edge, which was the first cruise ship to leave from Florida on a seven-night cruise to the Western Caribbean, I had a chance to catch up with a former cruise line executive from Norwegian Celebrity and Crystal, Art Sabarski. And I started the interview by asking him to give the listeners not familiar with him a little bit of background about himself. I've been in the cruise industry since 1983. I started off handling the advertising for Sitmar Cruises, which was bought by Princess in 88. And then I joined Crystal Cruises right in the beginning of the company in 1988. I was the original senior VP of marketing for Crystal. I was there to bring out the first two ships, Crystal Harmony and Crystal Symphony. I moved on from there to a similar position with uh, Celebrity Cruises, where we are right now. And I was there for a couple of years. That was when Royal Caribbean bought us. It was an interesting time. It worked out great for me. But then in 98, I was offered a terrific job as exec VP at Norwegian Cruise Line for sales, marketing, and revenue management. Couldn't turn it down. Just couldn't turn it down. And then I stopped working, essentially retiring, in the beginning of 2000 and have now been doing freelance travel writing since then. What was your employee number at Crystal if you were there at the beginning? I was number 13. I would have been number 12, except the day that I went in to sign in, um, Linda Chartier, who was one of our district sales managers, actually Southern California, she was there for her first day the same day. And being the gentleman that I am, I uh, let her go first. So she became 12 and I became 13. But somehow it seems better to say 13 than number 12. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I I was there at the beginning. We're walking through the art gallery right now. Was that a thing on ships when you were? Yeah, that was a thing way back when I started at Crystal. Joining the industry back then, I wasn't really sure what that was all about. Mm -hmm. I know that Carnival had it at that point, and I'm pretty sure that uh, other lines had it as well. And it's been around since then, and cruise line people are very smart. And if they weren't making money having art sellers on board, they wouldn't use the space for it. Yeah, because I've been to some art auctions on board some ships, and I've seen people dump 
thousands of dollars on a Peter Max piece or a Thomas Kincaid piece. Exactly. I, I agree. And the people who own the companies that do the work, they know what they're doing. Everything on a cruise ship is based on the use of the space. Space is very, very precious. On here, you see a Tiffany store on board. And a lot of people see a Tiffany store on board, and they go, huh? <laughs> and it's a perfect fit architecturally, the way they've got the store set up. And the Tiffany people are very smart. If it weren't working for them, they wouldn't do it. Likewise, if it didn't work for celebrity, they wouldn't do it. When you were even like a celebrity in Crystal, were you seeing these brands on board or was it just like the normal sundry shop? At Crystal on our first ship, if I remember correctly, we had four different shops on board. Our jewelry store, which we ran ourselves, was called Facets. It's the only name I remember of the four different shops. But we had clothing. We had, of course, a liquor store. Virtually every ship has a liquor store on board and prices on board, especially in the Caribbean, are really good. You get four bottles of a liter of vodka for 10 bucks a bottle, way better than somewhere in the mid-20s back home. So again, the cruise lines that feature retail outlets know what they're doing. There are a lot of cruise lines that don't have as many retail outlets. It also depends on the size of the ship. I drink Tito's. That's all I drink, vodka. And I was like, okay, I'm going to get some Tito's when I go on board, you know, on my last cruise right before the shutdown. And damn if the bottle of Tito's on the ship wasn't the same as Publix. Really? What do you mean? Again, it's like $19 a bottle, right? So I guess if you're going on a higher level, like if you're drinking a $100 bottle of Goose or whatever, it's probably a little bit cheaper on a ship. But I guess that's such a low price point anyway. They can't really discount it that much on a ship, I guess. I hadn't thought of it that way. From the perspective of a former senior vice president with a few cruise lines, this pandemic was crazy. I know you don't have the answer, but how does the industry recover from this? We're in the midst right now of what is the preliminary phase of the recovery. One of the things that attracted me to this cruise was that it's the first cruise of a main line, big line, with bigger ships, although in, in numerically this is, uh, he's day and age, a mid-sized ship. And it was sailing out of a United States port, specifically Port Everglades. Royal Caribbean, the parent company, had ships sailing in other parts of the world. Celebrity had another ship of their fleet, Millennium, already sailing, but not out of a U.S. port. There was something very emotional for the celebrity execs, for the crew, for the guests, and I'm part of that, that sailing out of Port Everglades with revenue guests on board this past Saturday made it special. And this, as I say, is the first phase. Other lines now are gearing up. They're getting their ships going, whether they're out of a U.S. port or not. Big ships, medium ships, small ships. The government is loosening the strings to some degree. The rules are still in flux. The CDC, I give them a lot of credit for dealing with it in a very tough time. A lot of people think the CDC is the bad guys. I also look at it realistically that the CDC was trying to protect Americans. We lost too many people as it was, and they were trying to prevent a new outbreak of it by the rules that they put in place. But as this cruise is now coming to an end, when everybody gets tested back home, which I hope they will, if there are no outbreaks as a result of this cruise, that's a winning situation that the CDC, other government bureaus, are going to listen to. Other guests are going to hear that, and they're going to be excited about that. The travel agent community, of which there are a lot on board this cruise, are going to be very excited about that, and that's going to stimulate further recovery. This ship had limited occupancy on this cruise, slightly in the 40%. That number is going to go up as they keep going. Other ships are all going to increase their capacity as well. More and more ships from more and more fleets are going to come back. And that's just going to be an effect that's going to be great for the industry. Financially, each of the three big companies is going to have to decide for themselves how they are going to recover financially from this situation. Because a lot of them have floated cheap money. They have borrowed money. Um, Their financial situation, although pretty positive, is a, a very difficult situation in which to be. And they also have to figure it out on their own. 
and there are minds that are far smarter than I am in that area to know what they're doing. These guys are really sharp, and the best indicator of that is how well the stocks have done in that time from when the stocks took a really deep dive after the shutdown occurred last springtime. The stocks right now are doing extremely well, and the analysts out there, the corporate buyers, the fund buyers, they wouldn't be buying those stocks if they didn't think the future was really bright overall. It makes you wonder. So those loans are going to become due. I know this week we heard that Carnival Cruise Line on their first two ships back to service and maybe their third one, they're taking out the casino bar and they're putting in slot machines where the bar was. So whether that be 10 slot machines or 12 slot machines, it probably makes financial sense to them to say, hey, you could still smoke in the casino, just go over to the port side. But one, it's going to prevent gathering around the bar. But two, the money's going to become due pretty soon. And that's the, well, you were in the industry for all those years. You could probably tell us more than any of us that casinos are probably a big revenue driver for cruise lines. They are a big revenue driver in that every spin of the dial on a slot machine, every turn of the roulette wheel, every turn of cards and blackjack or roll the dice, they're making money. They wouldn't be getting rid of the slot machines if that was not a moneymaker for them. And to the point about people gathering at bars, one of the reasons why casino bars are popular on the main ships is that's where they have the sports TVs. Mm -hmm. So people will gather there. The people who gather at a bar and find that to be the social place they want to be, they will simply find another bar. There are a lot of bars on different ships, and they're not that hard to find. Mm -hmm. And people just find other bars to go to and spend their money that way. I'm just wondering like, what else they might be doing. Like, I wonder if we're going to see maybe specialty restaurants get dialed up a little bit as far as the pricing goes, or if we're going to see drinks maybe inch up a little bit. What are they going to do to recoup this money? You just named two of them, and that's going to keep happening. And part of that actually was already happening before the pandemic. Historically, a drink on board a ship was a good bargain. It really was. That's not the case anymore. Mm-hmm. Booze prices per drink per bottle of wine, they have gotten much more expensive. Shops have gotten much more expensive. Shore excursions have gotten more expensive. Cruise lines find wonderful ways to get people to spend on board, such as $60 for hour-long wine tasting. And with the mandatory tip, it was $71 or something like that for a wine tasting. Um, People enjoy it. the, The cruise lines, again, are very smart. As one chairman of one of the brand of the company says, he wants to separate people from their wallets while they're on board. But back when we first started, when I first started, it was essentially for the public companies, of which they were very few then compared to what they are now. Of the revenue that came in, about 25% was for onboard expenses versus 75% for the cruise fares. Mm -hmm. It's gone up since then, but it hasn't gone up enormously. It's still the bulk of the money coming in is going to be the revenue they get from the tickets. Specialty dining has become a bigger moneymaker because, number one, there are more of the specialty restaurants on board most ships right now. And whether they're a la carte pricing or one price fits all, again, they're making money. And that's fine because people don't have to go to the specialty restaurants. They can eat in the main dining room and not spend a penny. It's entirely up to them. I would be more apt to do something like a whiskey tasting or even a craft beer tasting, you know, something like that. I would, I'd pay 20, 25 bucks for that for an hour or whenever. And you, you know, you have a, have a few drinks there and maybe get a voucher for one later on in the cruise or something, you know? I think that's a very good idea. My favorite was on an Alaska cruise. They did a beer tasting oh, from Holland America. Yeah, I love that one. And that was great because there you are sailing and you've got these incredible mountains on both sides of you with snow on them. And you're sitting on the covered upper deck trying different kinds of beer. It was, it was really well worth it. The idea of the voucher is something that you ought to propose to your colleagues at the different cruise lines. Because right. I haven't seen that, actually. <laughs> but again, it's, it's another way. It's two things. One, people look at the cruise experience, whether it's three, four, seven days or longer. Mm-hmm. And they fill in the time with different things to do. Some people do very little. Some people want every hour filled up. 
And when the cruise lines provide things for people to do with those hours that fill up, whether it's a trivia contest on any number of subjects where there's always bar service available, or whether or not those are activities that they charge for, people will find a way to fill up the, essentially for a seven-day cruise, seven nights is 168. The cruise, because you don't get it on at the beginning, is, let's say, about 160 hours. You got seven nights, let's say, um, 50 hours of sleeping. You still have about 100 hours to fill up. And yes, you can do it where you don't spend another penny while you're on board, with the exception of tipping, which is a really good thing to do a lot of for the crew because they work so hard. You're going to find other things to do during that time. And it's really hard to walk out off with a zero bill. Mm -hmm. But it's up to each individual guest to figure out what they want to do. When you're traveling solo against when you're traveling with a significant other, do you find that you're doing different things or is your routine pretty much the same? And it doesn't matter who you're traveling with yourself or with someone. I could answer that that in part, but I don't I don't want to disclose my personal life when I'm traveling. But I, I, I know what you mean. Okay. okay. All right. I get that out of the way right up front. Um, yes, because um, <laughs> the travel world, strangely enough, is I'm sorry. Um, the travel world is really not strangely enough set up for single people. The travel the traveling world is set up mostly for couples. I mean, there are no tables for one set up that way. Um, if you go into a restaurant on, on board with this, if it's open seating, and obviously there are two table settings there, they will take one table setting away, and you have the table for yourself. Um, you go to the uh, Ocean View Cafe on here, which is probably the best. Lido Cafe of its type that, I, that I've seen. It's just great. You're on your own. You go to the show, you're on your own until you meet people. Cruising is very social. It's hard to be a total curmudgeon and not meet anybody during the course of a cruise. But it's possible. And if you're traveling by yourself and you want to be by yourself, nobody's going to inflict themselves on you. You can read, you can go to shows. You can go to the lectures, you can go to the trivia contests, and you can participate with other people or just simply be on your own. And yes, I find I do different things. Um, if I'm traveling with someone else, I'm doing things with that person, which is physically very different, socially very different, emotionally very different right. than when I'm traveling by myself. And I'm very happy doing it either way. Do you think that celebrity is good for the solo traveler? Yes, I do. I don't think they specifically cater to the solo traveler, except for some of the ships now that have single rooms for single people. I don't think anybody's business model is based on single people. It's based on one price for the room. For the most part, there's a single supplement. Um, and, and, that, and that's the way, um, the, the, again, the world is set up. Uh, the, the hospitality world is set up that way. The older the audience on the ship the more likely you are to have singles. When they're younger audiences, you get single people, but they're traveling together. That's different. You're talking about a person just traveling by themselves. There are certain cruise lines that are more known for that. Women are more likely to travel on their own because it's an extremely safe environment uh, for women to travel by themselves. They feel safer there than they usually do at a land-based hotel, for example. Men, as a, by and large, just sociologically, don't tend to travel by themselves. They should on a cruise because there's just so much to do. I asked that selfishly because I had a listener question asking me if I thought Edge was set up for a solo traveler. He said he just travels solo. And my thought is yes. Oh, oh sure. I, think it's, I don't think it's physically set up specifically any different than any of the other lines that have a 10, 12, 15, 20-something ships. I, I really don't think that any of those ships would be specifically, or brands, would be specifically identified as being for solo travelers. So, like, here we are. We're just in the hallway on five. And if, you, if you're a reader, or whether you have your book there, or, you know, crosswords, whatever you want to do, email on, on your iPad, there's a lot of little nooks, whether it be outside of like Eden, where we sat for lunch yesterday. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't know that was there until yesterday. <laughs> like, Neither did I, yeah. by the way. 
But there's there's all these like you know you have Eden you have where we both been at different times uh, is it called El El Baccio the- El ba- uh, Cafe El Baccio mm-hmm. which is a great place it's really a coffee shop in a lot of ways um, it's an open space area right in the middle of the traffic area on deck four uh, they're open very early and they stay open fairly late they have uh, coffees they have espressos cappuccinos of every variety that you want they have cold drinks they have sodas uh, different kinds they have juices. Uh, they have great table service, very prompt, very quick. Prices are very reasonable compared to even um, a Starbucks back home. Everybody knows Starbucks. And it's the ocean-going version to a great degree of yeah. a Starbucks. They have free pastries. They have free snacks all throughout the day. Um, our group has been hanging out there. It's a great meeting point. And again, I say it's an open area, meaning that you can t- just walk from the main walkway right in. You don't have to go through a door. There are a lot of people that don't want to go through a door because they feel like a door is a barrier uh, to it. Uh, Albaccio is a great place and you just walk in and out with no problem. Going back to a a couple of conversations ago, we were talking about drinks on a ship being expensive if you don't have a drink package. Um, So I was on Norwegian and not to shit on Norwegian, but I was in Cagney Steakhouse and I got a Tito's and soda and it was $16. Now, I just told you, you can buy a bottle of Tito's for $19. One drink wasn't a double, $16. So that goes to show you that there's probably, if you're a drinker, the value is getting a drink package on NCL or picking it as a perk. There is no doubt in any way, shape, or form that if you're a drinker, that you'd be better off buying whatever drink package they offer. I, you have to do the, the analysis of that. Um, some of the drink packages that I've seen are priced so ridiculously that you have to have five, six, seven drinks during the course of the day to break even. To me, that's a lot of drinks. Um, I'm not going to start drinking at 9 a.m. Uh, just to do it. And a lot of people are also very smart. They find that on an uh, itinerary, particularly in the Mediterranean or Alaska, whatever, where you're in a port every day, that the drink package is not as viable because you're off the ship so much of the time, the amount of time that you're on board the ship to be able to buy into the drink package may not be cost efficient. On here, where they have the included package, with the fare, you get the different levels, classic uh, level or the premium level. And there are a lot of people, I think including yourself, that buy the drink package before the cruise. Mm -hmm. And once it's spent, it's spent. A lot of people don't think of that as a cruise expense. When you, but when you start buying a, a drink for 16 bucks, and I'm going to imagine there was an automatic tip on top of that, mm-hmm. okay, that's nearly 20 bucks a drink. That's expensive. And to sit there, and when they ask you if you want a second drink, I'm sorry, I think that for almost everybody, 40 bucks for two drinks, and you can't get the bottle in the, in the, in the shop and bring it to your room, they won't let you do that, and they won't let you bring your own booze on board. They're very smart. They want If you're going to drink, they want you spending your money on their booze. About pre-cruise expenses, this brings me back to we were sitting outside on Carnival Horizon in Naples, Italy. You and I were having one of our annual chats, and we were talking about had a disagreement about the pre-cruise expenses. Like Because it's all – I said I buy everything up front. It's paid for – by the time you get on this ship, and you you didn't agree with me for some reason or another. I, I, I hate to say that. I think it's an age thing. I think it's a, maybe a generation gap. Um, when we had that conversation, the the ability to buy it pre-cruise was still, believe it or not, a relatively new concept. Fair. And, I mean, you and I, 33 years apart, we have a different way of looking at things. Um, and to a great degree, a lot of the ships that I go on uh, when I'm buying my own cruise, it's all inclusive. So it's a, it's a different mindset. I'm pay- and I am paying for it up front, but I'm paying for the entire thing up front. One time when I went on a seaborne cruise, my entire bill on the ship was $8. Because one night I knew it was going to get rough, and I bought a little package of Dramamine. But there are no other expenses on seaborne because booze is included, tipping is included. Well, I did have expenses for extra tipping, but my folio was $8. So I, th- I think more and more now, 
the prevalence of pre-purchases for booze packages, alternative dining packages. A lot of people are buying that in advance right now. And I think that's, I talked before about how alternative dining is getting very expensive. I really do think it is. But if you buy a package, let's say it has four alternative restaurants, you can buy a package for all four and the cost will be for somewhere between two and two and three. Mm-hmm. So you're going to save money. A lot of people like to eat in the alternative restaurants. I really do. A lot of people don't see any need to eat in the alternative restaurants. They figure that the, uh, uh, the food is so good in the main restaurants. That's why they're on that ship. On here, the food in the main restaurants have a great reputation. And they don't see any reason to spend money on that in addition. Options, 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 options. Last night we ate at on the rooftop here, and that's like a $45 per person fee. And I stuffed myself, so I was miserable. You had to roll me out of there, right? But I think if I just was having a normal meal and not being just gluttonous, I think that it would have been just perfect. And I I, the, I thought the food was solid. I mean, the, the ribs weren't the best, but I mean, for, at least for the cut of beef for me, it was good. And, you know, like you said, they, they do have solid food on here. I, th- I, I think you're right. I agree with your analysis, all the way starting with you having a lot of food. Um, you ate a lot, too, I, though. I, I, d- I ate more than I normally would. Yeah, I was say, you um, don't eat that much. And I don't, I don't eat as much. I ate more food last night because it was not a la carte pricing. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you and I shared a side dish of a half rack of ribs because we wanted to try it, I'm not sure I would have recommended that if, we, if it was going to be an extra charge. But because they, they provide that as part of that $45, it was easy to do that. Mostly everybody in our group either had, had more than one appetizer or they had more than one dessert. So we, we, we got our money's worth there last night for the, um, in terms of quantity and also the quality overall. I had the filet and it was delicious. Plus a perfect, perfect sunset, too, like right there on the rooftop. You can't beat it. I mean, um, we, it you can't beat it. Um, the nice thing about it, we had the Caribbean breeze blowing, mm-hmm. which made the outside pretty uh, good place to be. And we had about a five-minute rain squall come through, not overly heavy, mm-hmm. but we, we moved over under the awning. The staff reset up the tables. They dried everything off. And there we were for the second half of our meal. We turned as a group. There were six of us, I think. And we turned to a meal that probably would take an hour and a half. And by sitting and relaxing and having fun with each other, we made it a three-hour meal. Uh, we never made it to the show last night. And that became the bulk of our evening. And it was, it was wonderful. And you're right. They did have to roll us out of there. <laughs> there was one takeaway from dinner last night, though. We could never share barbecue because you like your ribs wet and I like mine, just a dry rub. If I had known that, I would have gotten the wet on the side and done it that way. Because you were very nice, you um, acceded to my choice, and I didn't know that until just now. I asked the uh, uh, the, the waiter uh, which one he recommended, and he said wet, and so I said done. If I had known then what I know now, I would yeah, change I, things up. I roll with things, though. Like when you were telling people I was living in Asheville, and I was just going with you. <laughs> like, I don't want to make you look bad. <laughs> There are so many opportunities to do that. Um, I like the way you, 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 you're very good about it. You can pick and choose. For, that, that was funny because somehow I got it into my head that you had moved to Asheville. And just talking with people about it, um, it was just a conversational uh, thing. And what, I, what was it, two or three times before you finally corrected it? And it's still one of the funny highlights of, of the whole trip. So, you know. Good. I, I added something to our history. I didn't correct it until we were by ourselves in the Ocean View Cafe. And you were like, do you ever miss Jacksonville? <laughs> I was like, <laughs> well, not, not one of my finer moments, but I, I, will, I will begin to blame that on um, getting older. Yeah, okay, or, or the, uh, the vodka. Um, so we're going to wrap this up here because we're going to have sail away in a little bit. I want to go to Sunset Bar because that is the perfect place for a sail away, especially where we're – kind of backed in with the ascent towards the docks. So it's going to be amazing leaving here. But um, a couple of things here. They're really, in my opinion, and I've been doing some TV hits this week, and I've been telling everyone that it almost feels to me like cruising picked up where it left off. Now, that's going to vary from ship to ship, of course, because on Freedom of the Seas later on today, it's a whole different ballgame because some people can go to some venues and some can't. But with with this ship sailing um, fully vaccinated, 
it's just like we got off the ship 15, 16 months ago for me. The word is normal. Mm -hmm. The word is normal. The, the cruise lines, with the exception of those protocols that put, they're putting into place because of the uh, health concerns, they are 100% bound to deliver what they normally do. Now, some of the cruise lines probably have changed their onboard product a little bit. They've probably tweaked it. They've had time to do that. But for the most part, on this cruise, we're getting the celebrity experience. On Royal Caribbean, they're going to get the Royal Caribbean experience. On other lines, they're going to get the other experiences. Again, based, depending on those protocols and what people are going to have to do. Yeah. You and I, on this cruise, we don't even have to get antigen testing at the end of this cruise, which I thought we were going to have to do. And I was waiting for the notice in terms of when we have to show up for our appointment. But if you're an adult and you've been vaccinated, you don't have to get the testing. If you're a kid under 16, you do. If you're an adult who hasn't been vaccinated, you do. If you're doing back-to-back -back cruises, you have, to get back, you have to get the antigen testing. And if you're flying on from the ship immediately to an airport to a foreign country where antigen testing is necessary to arrive there, those are the four categories of people that at 6 o'clock tonight have to go and get their test done. Mm -hmm. You and I, I'm walking off tomorrow morning at 7 o'clock. I'm in the early departures with my own luggage. I've got my car waiting. I'll be home by 8 o'clock tomorrow morning. You good with Lyft now? Everything taken care of? I'll let you know after tomorrow. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I did have the problem when I arrived. Um, I think I've worked it out now to figure it out. This is the first time that I've ever used Lyft. Mm -hmm. I don't use Uber. I never have. I know I'm, again, old fogey. Do you have a, you have a driver, though? Like, oh. do, you, do you have a guy you can call, hey, I need to go to the airport or whatever? No. A car service? I have a car service I could use. Um, it, it's, it depends on whether he's available or not. Um, invariably, it depends on, well, from where I live, I'm five minutes away from Tri-Rail. I can take the train right from five minutes away from me. I park my car there for nothing. I take the train right to Miami International Airport and leave, and leave my car behind. And the, the, it's about $11 round trip for the train to the airport. The train is faster than driving. It just makes it that much more convenient for me. Here, I can't do that, but on a, as a human being, I price things out. It's cheaper to take Lyft than to leave my car at the port for seven nights and pay 140 bucks for it now. It's much cheaper to do that with Lyft. Man, you really sound like you're a man of the people. You're not getting a car service around South Florida. You're taking the train and a Greyhound, all this. Okay. If I had just said that I have my <laughs> chauffeur picking me up, I would even if it, even if it were not true, I would never live that down. I, I, I'm going I'm to have enough trouble with the bit about you living in Asheville. Um, that's that. I have a feeling that will come up in the future. But no, I, I, I am I a man of the people. I'll let the people decide that. I was interviewing a cruise line CEO one time, and he was trying to really play it down on how human he really is. And he was telling us that, yeah, when I go to Olive Garden, I take Tupperware, and I bring the food home. And because I'm so – I'm like, no, you're not. You made $25 million last year. You're not doing that. But you can keep saying that because these people are probably buying it, but I'm not. Um, and, and I wouldn't <laughs> buy that either. I know how much some of them are making. Right. Um, I, I, I will say this. Um, I'm 73. I have had a life that, as a kid growing up in the Bronx, I never expected to have. My folks didn't have that much. They didn't make that much. But we had everything that my sister and I needed. We had clothing. We had food on the table. Every, although my mom was a terrible cook, we had the food we needed. We took modest vacations. We had a modest life. But as I've uh, done well in business... I haven't forgotten who I really am right. at heart. That's, that's um, and, I, and, I, and I think that uh, the one thing my dad always instilled in me, when, uh, my, when my dad would make a charity contribution or tip at a restaurant higher than even then the 15%, and I would ask him why, and he says, because they have less than we do. And I've always had that philosophy. Uh, I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm not doing this to tout my own horn, but I think everybody as they develop in life, should find a way to give back. I don't care what level you're at, there's someone that you can give something to, 
one of the most heartwarming things that's come out of this pandemic. When you read the stories about people and what they're doing to help others, it's nothing short of sensational. I mean, I know what I did, but that's not the point. When you, when you read about people who don't have much, when you read about um, high school-age kids or middle school-age kids and what they've done in terms of raising funds, uh, putting together food packages, delivering food to, to people, this pandemic brought out the best in so many people. And I'd like to think that as a human being, um, I'm on the, on the good side of that that curve. Yeah, 100%. It's been a pleasure, man. It's been uh, 11 years that I've uh, we've known each other. I mean, we met on Celebrity Equinox on the inaugural in the atrium there. Mm-hmm. The first interview, Matt and I talked with you, and then Stuart came up and interrupted us by going, Art Zaborski. Never forget that. Neither will Matt. And, and he would do that now if he yeah, knew we thank were. Thank God. He's he, one of the reasons why we're in an out-of-the-way yeah. <laughs> place. And it's hard. I, I mean, I've watched you. Uh, grow your brand and uh, over those over those years, but not only that, I've seen you grow into a really terrific man during those those years. You were you were a young pup back yeah, eleven used, years ago, and give me hell for the way I dressed and everything. And now I try. I'm, now I'm the one wearing the sports jacket, and you're coming casual to dinner. <laughs> exactly. And but now we're here at what four o'clock in the afternoon. You're wearing a shirt with a collar, which you you weren't doing eleven years ago. That's true. But that's part of your maturity, and it's also part, I think of how you have grown your brand and how you have uh, grown into the industry around you. The cruise industry is different 11 year, now than it was 11 years ago, and you've seen it grow, and I think that has some... A cruise is still the same as it was in the beginning. For the mo- it's got a pointy end at the front. It's got a round end at the back for the most part. Um, it takes people places. It gives them things to do. It feeds them. It entertains them. Most of all, it pampers them like crazy. That has not changed. Mm -hmm. But the way in which they do it, except for the pampering, is different. And I think that um, we all evolved during the course of that time. Art Zabarski, as always, my friend. I value your friendship, and uh, thanks again. My pleasure. Always. All right, Dougie, let's see what we got for you, buddy. Cruise Radio is produced at the TripInsurance.com studios in Jacksonville, Florida. Get cruise news, ship reviews, and money-saving tips every Thursday on Cruise Radio. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show. If you want to help spread the word, give Cruise Radio a five-star review. Find Cruise Radio where you listen to your favorite podcast or online at cruiseradio.net. I'm your announcer.